Welcome to the Apologia Podcast, the audio-only archive of the Apologia YouTube channel. Note that some content was designed to go with visuals, but the imagination can be a powerful thing. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving it a 5-star rating on the podcast app you're using now to help us reach more people. Or, since this endeavor is ad-free, consider going a step further and supporting us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash But for now, let's get to the episode. Part of the Creation Today Claims series, posted February 27, 2017, titled Disney Dinosaur Extinction, featuring Dr. Mary Schweitzer. For years then, we haven't even copyrighted our material. We allow people to copy it, to give it away. That's what we want. Intrepid Eric Hoven takes on Disney and dinosaur extinction, so I send him head-to-head with the very scientist who discovered his favorite claims, Dr. Mary Schweitzer. Hello everyone, and welcome to Apologia, where a former Christian takes a look at the claims of Christians. This week, we learned that even on holidays, Eric Hovind is never on holidays. What's up guys, we are live here at uh, Animal Kingdom. Uh, Ah. Vertical video, Eric, seriously, this might be the worst thing you've ever done. Okay, so here's the deal, guys. I'm here at Dinosaur World, or the the dinosaur uh, ride at Disney. Before we get into whatever it is Eric is about to say and bring us all down, have you ever seen a dinosaur movie from Disney Animation? It was Disney's first in-house 3D animated feature, and a lot of people missed it because at the time Pixar was soaring, and Disney Animation Studios wasn't really finding a hit. It didn't have any musical numbers, and it didn't have any A-list celebrity voices, but I thought it was great in its own way. It follows an allosaur and his family and friends in the traumatic hours and days after that asteroid hits the Earth. Do yourself a favor and check it out sometime. Alright, that's the end of Happy Thoughts. Continue, Eric. They're still trying to teach the idea that an asteroid is what killed the dinosaurs uh, 65 million years ago. So scientists today still disagree on the idea of an asteroid impacting the planet. If you look hard enough, you can find little pockets of isolated voices who wonder if the asteroid hit was a sufficient cause for extinction. But after 30 years of study, there are very few geologists or paleontologists who disagree that the Yucatan crater represents an Earth-changing impact from something extraterrestrial. In fact, I even found this young man who affirmed asteroid impacts. We find craters in the rock layers. We know meteorites and asteroids have struck the Earth in the past. They could be part of the global flood event. There's so much evidence for the asteroid hit that Eric has been forced to incorporate it into his revised flood narrative. And here's what they do. They find the KT boundary. Just as a refresher, the KT boundary is the point between the Cretaceous and Tertiary periods. K for Cretaceous, which starts with a C, because that makes sense. Actually, it's on the German word Kreed. And T for Tertiary. The barrier refers to the noticeable undisputed physical markers separating the geological layers representing these eras around most of the Earth. There's a layer of uh, iridium that is spread around the globe. You know what? Today is going to be, let's hear things directly from the mouths of the scientists who made the discovery day. Here's Walter Alvarez, professor of biology at UC Berkeley, and the first to propose that the Cretaceous period ended in an asteroid strike. And we decided to measure the element iridium, which is a marker for extraterrestrial material. 
and they wonder how in the world did this iridium get spread around the globe. What we finally figured out was that it was telling us that a comet or an asteroid the size of Mount Everest had hit the Earth on a particular day 65 million years ago. Well, they've associated it to uh, the very idea of, a, of an asteroid striking the planet, causing a dust cloud that spread around the world. And we gradually came to realize how much energy there is in a very big rock falling from the sky. There would have been enough energy to blow debris and rocks and dust and chunks of things from the impact site all over the entire Earth. Is that all they found, Dr. Alvarez? Just the iridium? Other evidence of impact, like spherules and shocked quartz, and all that time, all during that 10 years, the, the big unanswered question was, where was the crater that would have been produced when this comet or asteroid fell from the sky? Finally, in 1991, the great breakthrough took place. We learned about a huge crater below the surface of the Yucatan Peninsula that the Mexican oil geologists had discovered. Uh, it's the biggest impact crater that's formed on this planet in the last billion years. And the Mexicans drilled it. And here's what they found. So this is a thin slice out of a circular core. And this is rock that was melted by the heat of impact. And you can tell that it was melted by impact because the mineral grains in it have features that only form with very great shock uh, effects. And um, so we then had evidence for a giant impact. Uh, we could tell that it was approximately the right age, but you couldn't be sure of exactly the right age. So some of us went and looked at other outcrops in other parts of Mexico, and we found the debris from this impact, from this crater, at exactly the level of the extinction, right at the boundary between the Cretaceous and the Tertiary. And so that was the evidence that can, has convinced almost all geologists and paleontologists that it was indeed an impact that caused the mass extinction. Well, this is a pretty good example of how science works and how geologists and paleontologists figure out what happened in Earth history. You start with some unexpected evidence, like the iridium, then you make up a theory to try to explain it, and then other people get interested, and they look for other evidence, like spherules and shock quartz, and there's a great debate, because that's the way we work these things out in science. And finally, along comes the most convincing evidence of all, in this case the crater, which convinces virtually everyone. And so that's the story of how geologists and paleontologists solved what may have been the greatest murder mystery in all of big history. Thanks, Dr. Alvarez. But the very existence of this video makes me think that Eric isn't one of the virtually everyone who are convinced. Here's the problem. The asteroid would have to be significantly bigger than what they uh, first expected in order to create a dust cloud of uranium that would spread around the world. More likely, it's formed by the volcanoes that, uh, that were erupting. Since 1980, the lonely voice making this claim has been Swiss paleontologist Dr. Gerda Keller. Over the decades, she's published dozens of papers advocating that it was volcanic activity that killed the dinosaurs, but her ideas have not found traction with the rest of the scientific community. Of course, that alone doesn't mean that she's wrong. And this would have been happening during the time of the flood. But it does mean that you're wrong, Eric. You see, Professor Keller fully accepts and advocates the same asteroid impact that Dr. Alvarez does. She just thinks that asteroid hit even further in the past than 65 million years ago. She's pushing all the dates back even further. Once again, you've cherry-picked a small piece of obscure science, but you don't even take all of it. You're clinging to a tiny fraction of an idea that virtually every geologist and paleontologist rejects. Volcanoes actually produce iridium. Volcanoes don't produce iridium, but a volcano can theoretically release some iridium from the Earth's core. It is not generally the case, but it has been observed at the Paton de la Fresnaye shield volcano in the Reunion Island in France. More on this in a minute. And so multiple volcanoes, when the fountains of the Great Deep broke up, just like the Bible says and uh, happened during the flood. 
You're quoting Genesis 7.11 here. Interpreting fountains of the deep as volcanoes is stretching that text pretty far, don't you think? Other translations use springs. Doesn't sound very lava-y. Multiple volcanoes going off around the world would have been a much better explanation for this KT boundary, all this iridium, iridium that's discovered around the world. Setting aside that the Bible doesn't say there were volcanoes going off, nor is there any established scientific reason that a flood would cause volcanic eruptions, here's just one reason that your hypothesis isn't a better explanation. By your proposal, Eric, the anomalously high concentration in iridium in the KT boundary, about 100 times normal, is because the iridium is found in the Earth's core, and during the flood, many volcanoes are spitting out lava straight from the core, thus spewing iridium at 100 times the normal quantities. If that hypothesis were true, then the KT boundary would also contain 100 times the normal rate of all the heavy elements found in the Earth's core, including gold, cobalt, cadmium, and others. But iridium is the only element found in excess. I did a video on this uh, on Facebook a couple years ago, and uh, unfortunately Disney must not have seen it. So I'm going to need somebody out there to share that video with Disney, help them understand. It's hard to believe that the Disney Corporation didn't see your video from two years ago and change everything. Let's take a look to see what bombs of truth they've been ignoring. My family and I got to spend the day here at Disney's Animal Kingdom, and we are having a fabulous time. We just went on the dinosaur expedition. Two years ago, you were shooting horizontal video, and now you're shooting vertical video. That's probably the best proof against evolution in your career. There's one problem. You're taking people back to the Cretaceous period rather than back to the flood. You realize we found fresh blood inside of dinosaur bones indicating those dinosaurs are not 65 million years old. If you've been following Pologia, you might have seen my response video to Eric's dinosaur soft tissue webinar earlier this year. One of Eric's guests on that show was Dr. Daniel A. Biddle. Remember that name for later. A significant portion of the presentation, including those to Eric's visceral claim of fresh blood he just threw at Disney, was based on the work of Dr. Mary Schweitzer. Shortly after posting my video, Steve McRae of the Great Debate Community Channel, which is a great place for intellectual conversations among people of differing worldviews, find a link in the description, do yourself a favor and subscribe, graciously invited me to be a part of a conversation with Dr. Schweitzer, the very scientist upon whose work Eric is making his case. She rarely gives interviews, so this was a huge honor. I was able to ask her some questions directly that will apply here, so I'll let her reply in her own voice. Okay, we are live. Hey, it's January 26th. It's 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, and we have, uh, as a special guest today, Dr. Mary Schweitzer. Morning. While I understand that it has absolutely nothing to do with the ideas and discoveries, I did want to note that Dr. Schweitzer is a woman of deep faith. It's not this big cloudy mystery that scientists are just sitting in their lab trying to figure out how to confuse and, and I don't know, destroy Christian faith. I am a Christian. I love the Lord, and I have absolutely... I, I, my God has gotten so much bigger the bigger I study science. I mean, it's just it's really, really amazing. And I don't want to waste time on other, other issues like how old is Eric. I mean, really, who cares? I decided to ask Dr. Schweitzer about the claims Eric was making about her findings. So I was recently in a Young Earth seminar where your research was used to support claims um, that working blood vessels, fresh blood cells, and intact DNA had been found in dinosaur cells or dinosaur fossils. Um, is that a fair characterization of your research? <laughs> it's wrong on all counts. It has to do with words. What do they mean by fresh DNA? Basically a T-Rex with a steak in their mouth kind of a thing. But... <laughs> no. <laughs> it, it depends on how you define it. 
And that's what I mean. Words are really, really important. Do we have blood cells? No, we do not have blood cells. I don't have the data to support that. We have round red structures that localize to the blood vessel channels. They have the morphological characteristics of blood vessels. They have a chemical makeup similar to what you'd expect blood vessels, to have, blood cells to have. Dinosaur fossils that are found in the Hell Creek Formation. Hell Creek Formation, you say? Why, that's Dr. Schweitzer's stomping ground. If you look at Hell Creek Formation age or Hell Creek Formation dating, Judith River Formation, you'll, you'll see the papers, the geology behind why they say what they say. So the Hell Creek is about the last three million years of the age of the dinosaurs. It, it, it is um, deposited during a time when the Mesozoic ends and the Cenozoic begins. So it is divided from the um, later, t later sediments by the KT boundary, which in Montana is um, spectacularly visible in the parts of the country that we look at. You can go up and put your finger on it. It's kind of cool. Okay, so the Hell Creek Formation finds are older than 68 million years. Thanks, Mary. You were saying, Eric? Uh, they are now finding that about 40% of those dinosaur fossils, 40% are unfossilized. It's still soft biomaterial. Dinosaur bones that were just sent to uh, Dan Biddle contain 40% unfossilized bone, which is amazing. I couldn't find any references to this 40% statistic in any secular papers, nor on any of the creation websites either. So I thought I'd take a chance and reach out directly to Dan, who is president of Genesis Apologetics Ministries. Dan got back to me very quickly to let me know that this 40% finding was not in any paper or website, but rather in a chapter in his brand new book, just now available on Amazon. I was immediately cynical that this might be a cash grab, but without prompting, Dan sent me an electronic version of his book to review the claim I asked about, and went on to offer to send me a print edition of his book when he found out I was a skeptic. Respect and props to you for that, Dan. Let's see what we found. It's a very short 82-page read. I found the 40% claim under section number 7 in a paragraph talking about Biddle's expert, one Alan Stout. I followed the footnote and it led me to this article in the Rome News Tribune of the Northwest Georgia News, the local newspaper of Rome, Georgia, with a population of about 30,000 people. As of the date of this recording, the site is leading with the breaking story about a high school band concert. Not exactly a peer-reviewed journal. But we're not here to ad hominem. Here's the claim. For over a decade, Alan Stout states that many of the dinosaur bones he finds in the Cretaceous layer are only 40% mineralized. Where does that footnote go? Personal communication. Private email. So the only place I can read more about this claim is through a radical shift of focus at WikiLeaks. Fortunately for me, Section 7 also quotes Dr. Mary Schweitzer. So as a cited primary source, we could ask her directly what percentage of dinosaur bones are fossilized. Ah, uh, nobody knows. So, what I can tell you is that traditionally, a fossil is any evidence of past life. But the idea is, when all of the soft tissues and all of the original proteins degrade away, they then get buried, and when they're buried, rocks sitting above it contain minerals that dissolve and then are redeposited in the spaces of the bone, where the bone cells sat, where the blood vessels sit, and the bone becomes dense and it becomes hard. So that is kind of what we think of when we think of a fossil is not a bone turned to rock, but a bone that's been infiltrated with secondary minerals. If you look at the bones of dinosaurs under the microscope, they look just like your bone. They just have a few extra minerals in them in the places where there were spaces. 
So what it means to be a fossil, it simply is evidence of past life. Like I said, nobody really uses the term fossilization correctly, but if you are going to use it in the common vernacular, that bone represents fossilized bone. That's not, you know, I mean, that's inaccurate, but that's what people think of when they think of fossilized bone, they think of that. And in that sense, and in that sense only, our T-Rex was not. The open spaces in the T-Rex were open spaces. There was no secondary mineralization. It was lacy. It was light. Um, it was unaltered. And I could hold a piece of it in my hand and put it next to the piece of terrecular bone from a horse, and you couldn't tell the difference. So in one sense, it wasn't fossilized in the classic sense of being completely remineralized the way that a lot of bone is. It was weird. Just really so, depending on how people are going to be using the word it, Exactly, exactly. And that's one of the things I drive my students crazy on is words count. Okay, so when Eric and Dan get these bones, some of them are going to be non-permineralized. Per Mary's description, such bones are definitely fossils by the paleontology definition, but because such bones are not entirely turned to rock, the creation speakers are going to use a common vernacular definition of fossil to mislead the layperson into thinking this is meaningful as timescale evidence. As Mary said, she's an expert in this field and she has a difficult time telling a difference. But the creation team is going to invite the layperson to draw conclusions. Very clever. So uh, a friend of mine, Dan Biddle, just got an entire shipment of dinosaur bones where the dinosaur bones are part fossilized, part permineralized. That's it exactly. That kind of subtle, aw shucks oopsie, correction of incorrect fossilized to the correct permineralized. So that Eric didn't lie, but his initial misstatement is the one he hopes the audience absorbs and remembers. And reinforces the impression he wants to give that there's no difference. And what Dan is doing, what we're doing with the Creation Network, is we've ordered a bunch of black boxes, and he's going to ship those dinosaur bones to Creation Speakers. We're going to ship these around to different speakers and allow them to use them on display, evidence that dinosaurs are not millions of years old. Given that you, their leader, is desperately misrepresenting these fossils in this very video, I don't have a lot of faith that your traveling apostles are going to seek out and represent scientific accuracy on their own. Your audience is predisposed to believe authority and values common sense over verified findings. So I have no doubt this will be an affirming tactile experience. I'm sad already. And that's really what our ministry is all about, is getting back to biblical authority. What does the Bible say about these things? If you are an honest scientist, bias is always changed with data. But you ask the hard question. Uh, here we have a great example of evidence that can be interpreted a couple of different ways. Um, but in the end, if my data is good enough, are good enough, if my data are rigorous enough, if my data are repeatable enough, they can have their minds changed. And that is science. It isn't faith. That's science. Absolutely. When I wear my science hat, I don't have beliefs. I have only data. Science doesn't lie, buddy, and it's not on your side if you claim dinosaurs lived millions of years ago. Dr. Schweitzer? That bugs me. Why would God try to trick us? It's like, okay, we're going to give you a brain and we're going to make a, a world of order because order is something God's known for. He's rational. He's consistent. So we're going to make this world of order and then, wow, we're going to trick you by saying that all the the rules that you can figure out with your brain no longer apply. 
But I just I don't buy that. God's not the deceiver in this. And I think that young earth creationists have to be really, really careful when they sit there and try to manipulate the data to support their worldview. That is not science. All right. So we got to re-educate the world, guys. Let's get busy. If these guys would take half the energy that they spend trying to prove that the world is young and use it to change the world around them, feed the hungry, take care of the kids, get the cats off the street, anything, that our world would be so much better. But they waste so much time and energy and effort on disproving that the world is old. It's not a salvation issue. Get over it. I can't think of a better way to end it. Thank you, Mary. It was an honor to talk to you. If you like this video, please take a second to give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down if you didn't like it. If you disagreed with any of my findings, please let me know in the comments. And if you'd like to be notified when I put out new videos, why not click on the subscribe button? Keep your eye on the science. Later.